Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hey everyone, welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. My name is Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. Amen, amen. Is that the end of the song? Well, it's it's part of a song called The Blessing. Is that the one that you were singing on the last episode? Uh, I think it's maybe a different version of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll pretend Was it not it clear? Did it, like, I thought it was super clear what I was doing. <laughs> I thought my voice was awesome. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying that. <laughs> I was going to say it's clever if if it's the same song cuz oh, we're doing we're part doing 2. Oh, okay. <laughs> cuz we didn't we didn't finish yeah, last Yeah, that's week. what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so clever. Um anyways, welcome to episode 36. We are continuing our conversation from the last episode in 35 because we just couldn't get all the way through Galatians 3. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. But we we are talking about Abraham and basically the blessing through his seed to all the nations. Yes. So that's kind of where we're coming from in the story of Abraham. But we've been talking about Galatians 3 because Paul brings it up there. That's right. It's kind of a really big topic in Galatians. He He like works it out really a lot. Yeah, so is there anything else we need to set up before we kind of jump back in to where we were? Uh, I think just by way of uh, a reminder is that the terms blessing, righteousness, and life are kind of like a a family, a close-knit family of words that are all interconnected, and that Paul's going to kind of, he's already kind of made a case for the blessing comes through a system of faith as opposed to a system of works, however you want to develop that system of works, whether it's works from the Old Covenant, whether it's works from the New Covenant. He's he's kind of made a case for, hey, Abraham is about faith, and that's how the blessing comes. And he's been debunking this idea that you can rely on works of the law to get you access to the blessing, to righteousness, and to life. So we're going to pick up um, in verse 10, where he's basically going to kind of say, and this is why you can't rely on works of the law or a system of works, but specifically he's going to be dealing with the Mosaic law. But you can, you know, extrapolate from there and apply it to any system of works that sure. you, you rely on to get you the blessing. Yeah, it's definitely something that we have continued to do as, That's a pe- right. as people. <laughs> it's a it's a fleshly thing for us to kind of create a system that, you know, curiously, we're good at doing that system <laughs> and other people are not. Right. And therefore, we look righteous and we look blessed because we're meeting that system really well and other people who stink at it, well, you know, sucks to be you. <laughs> but I'll, yeah, also, if you didn't listen to the last episode... Please go back and listen because uh, Tim also breaks down faith and, mm. you know, a little bit more deeper about what that means as well. Please go back and take a listen if you need to. But now we're jumping in here. 
Yeah. yeah verse I'll, 10? I'll jump in with verse 10, and we're going to try to make it through verse 18, but we'll see. Oh, we can do it. We can do it. All right. For as many of the works of the law are under the curse. No. <laughs> no. Just got to read really fast. Um, okay, verse 10, for as many as are of, and there's that word out of that we referenced in the last episode, as many as are of or out of the works of the law are under the curse. Okay, now remember we're talking about the blessing of Abraham, so what's the opposite of a blessing? It would be a curse. And there's a group in Galatia that's saying, look, if you really want this blessing of Abraham, you got to do works of the law. And Paul's going to basically say, hey, guess what? If you choose that path, you think you're going to be getting a blessing. But if you rely on the works of the law, you're actually bringing yourself under a curse. And so what he does next is he quotes the book of Deuteronomy. And he says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Okay, now this is a pretty clever thing for Paul to do because apparently the people in Galatia who are promoting this works of the law system, circumcision was kind of a big deal. And they were kind of saying, you know, it's kind of like your gateway. It kind of seals the deal for you. If you just go ahead and get circumcised, then you can say you're a son of Abraham, and then you get the blessing. But Paul's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're going to go for circumcision and you're going to rely on that to get the blessing, you don't get to cherry pick. If you're going to go with the works of the law, you have to take all the law. And if you're going to put yourself under that system, you're going to subject yourself to a curse that's actually written in that law. And that curse is written in Deuteronomy, and it says if you don't obey all of the law, you're under a curse. So it's almost like Paul is saying, okay, you say you want to play the game of works of the law. Do you really want to play that game? Do you really want to get in that system? Because in order for that system to work for you, you're going to have to have complete obedience to the law all the way up until the day that you die. And the implication here is, hey, you, you can't do that. There's nothing that's going to enable you to carry that out. And that's where he goes next in verse 11. He says, but that no one is justified by the law of God is evident for, and now he's going to quote a verse that promotes justification by faith or being made right by faith. He quotes Habakkuk chapter 2 that says, the just shall live by faith. Okay, Adam. I want to pause here real quick and just remind us that the word live there is not just like, you know, uh, your everyday life. For Paul, the word live actually has to do with what, you know, the technical term would be eschatological life, or it includes resurrection. It includes eternal life. And so we're not talking about just, you know, how do you uh, 12 rules for living. We're talking about life to the full. Um, life that includes resurrection life. So Paul kind of gives his proof text for uh, righteousness or life or blessing coming through faith. 
And then he quotes another verse to say, here's a verse that defines what living under the works of the law is about. Uh, verse 12, he says, yet the law is not of faith, but the, but, and he quotes from Leviticus here, the man who does them shall live by them. So again, he's laying out these two pathways, these two systems. One is based off works. The other one is based off faith. And he says, the scriptures basically give us guidance by telling us eschatological life can come through faith or you could try to achieve eschatological life through works of the law. And he basically says, you don't want to do that. That's a dead end. That's a no-go. Um, it's impossible to get there from here. Uh, so he's kind of boxing them in in some ways and sort of limiting their options, and he's using the scriptures to validate and, you know, dare I use a pun here, to justify his position. So basically Paul is using a technical argument because he knows the law. And he knows how to use their argument against them. Yeah, he's, he's making some very clever, you know, comebacks, if you will. But in the process of making this argument, he actually creates a point of tension that he's going to have to resolve. And the way that he resolves it is actually has a point of tension there as well. <laughs> so, so really, the argument is creating kind of like a dilemma. And the first dilemma is for the Jewish person. He says, if you are seeking to be righteous based on the works of the law, you're under a curse. So if I'm a Jewish person, I'm thinking, well, then how do I get out of that? Because everybody's under this curse. Every, no one actually fully obeys the law. So how is Christ going to get me out of this curse condition? And so that's where he, in the next verse, Paul gives us, he resolves this tension but he does it in a very interesting way. So, so this is what he says in verse 13. He says, Christ has redeemed us, that is the Jewish people, from the curse of the law. And how did he do it? Having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, what makes this interesting is that Paul has already said the curse comes about from not obeying the law. But then it says that Jesus has become a curse for us. And so if you stop right there, you're thinking, wait, does that mean Jesus did not obey the law? We know that he did. We know that he did. So how does somebody who does fully obey the law become a curse? Because the way you become a curse is by not obeying the law. So, you know, there, there's this dilemma of how does, how does Jesus over here make contact with people over here who are under a curse? And so Paul does this really clever thing where he finds this verse in Deuteronomy that says that if you hang from a tree, that you are considered to be a curse, to make this kind of give some context for this, we're going to go back to Deuteronomy 21, which is the passage that he quotes there about whoever hangs on from a tree is, a, is cursed. 
In the context there, it's basically about someone who commits a sin that is worthy of death. And in Jewish law, you can't just accuse somebody of doing something and then that person gets killed for it. There, things have to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And so typically what would happen is that somebody would commit a sin that was worthy of death, and at least two or three people saw it. They would bring that before the elders of a village or maybe the, the highest court like the Sanhedrin, and they would make an accusation. They would bring the witnesses forward. they say, yes, we saw them do it. And then they would pass a sentence, and then that person would be killed, typically by stoning. They would be stoned. Now, as a deterrent for other people not to commit that same sin, they would hang the body from a tree. So everyone would see, wow, why is that guy hanging from a tree? It's like, well, he committed this sin. Now, in an ideal world, you know, which we do not live in, but in an ideal world, only people who are actually guilty of a sin worthy of death would end up hanging from a tree. But we don't live in an ideal world. So there is a way for someone who's innocent to actually end up going through the death death penalty and being hung on a tree. And that way is if two or three witnesses lie against an innocent person and then the body of elders or the Sanhedrin passes a sentence, they kill them, and then they hang them on a tree. And it's like, hmm, that sounds very similar to what happened to Jesus. He was an innocent person who fully kept the law, and yet witnesses were brought forward in his trial to lie against him. They passed the death sentence, and they hung him on a tree. And what Paul is saying is that when they did that, Jesus entered into the status of, or the condition of someone who was cursed under the law, and yet he was fully innocent. Now, this passage is often used in conversations about the atonement, specifically penal substitution, to kind of prove that God pours his wrath out on Jesus, or that God curses Jesus. But Paul, again, does something very clever here, and we're going to go back to Deuteronomy and read the verse, and then we're going to go back up to Galatians, and we'll see how Paul strategically leaves part of the verse off when he quotes it. So here's the passage in Deuteronomy 22, it's verses 22 and 23. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And this is the part that Paul quotes in Galatians 3. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. Okay, so now we'll go back up to Galatians 3 and we'll read it and we'll notice that he leaves two words off of the quotation. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Did you catch it? Dun, dun, dun. He actually leaves off the words of God. In other words, Paul is being very strategic in guarding 
against this idea that God has somehow cursed Jesus while he's on the cross. Jesus is on the cross as an innocent man, but he arrived there because people lied and accused him of sin that he wasn't guilty of. And so the, the underlying you know, principle here that I think is very interesting that I wish Paul would you know, maybe explain a little bit more is that the assumption that Paul has is that you cannot solve a problem without making contact with it. In other words, you can't just erase that curse. In, in Paul's understanding, Jesus had to actually become a curse in order to rescue and redeem people who are under the curse. And this is very similar to the logic of the Incarnation, that if God wants to redeem and save and transform and heal human nature, a corrupted human nature, he himself has to make contact with that corrupted human nature. He has to become a human in order to save humans. He has to become a curse in order to redeem those who are under the curse. And this is just one of those assumptions that Paul makes. It's sort of like a controlling paradigm that he's working out of. And I think it's probably the incarnation that is probably shaping that assumption as well as other principles in the Old Testament. But, you know, J- Jesus is, is rescuing them by becoming one of them. So it's, it's just kind of an interesting way that he goes about reasoning and arguing his point here. I'm glad you're bringing up the incarnation in this discussion, because it is something that I think about here. The fact that God chose to become a human and make contact with the flesh so that he could heal it. Well, we were planning to go through verse 18 here in Galatians 3, and we're on 13. So Mm -hmm. since we're far along in our time, I think that we're going to do one more episode. Is it one more for real? It's just one more for real. I don't want to keep saying one more. (laughs) No, really, one more. (laughs) Just one more. No, I promise, one more. Only one. (laughs) Uh, No, um, but uh, thanks for breaking all that down, Tim. I know that I definitely would have a hard time explaining all of that. So I appreciate you doing that. If you do have questions or comments and you want to submit those to us, you can go to our podcast notes and there will be a link there to our podcast page where you can go and send us a question or a comment. We will continue talking about the blessing that comes through Abraham Seed on the next podcast. Thank you so much for listening to episode 36, and we will catch you next time.